Bibles. I hope you do. Or your phones or wherever you find the word. Open to Isaiah 47. You know, the things in this world are not always what they might seem. There's a lot going on today in our world. If you've been following, you've seen a lot of the banking issues going on. We've got the war going on in, in, in Kuwait. Or Kuwait. <laughs> wow, Ukraine. Wow. I, just, I happened to be watching something about that time period. That's why I had popped in my head, I think. You got the war going on in Ukraine. You have a lot of things going on in this world, but it's not always what we what it seems. There's things going on that we don't always understand. There's more to it than meets the eye. And see, those those that are in power want us to see certain things. So the news will show you things that are only what they want you to know. But behind the scenes, there's a lot more that happens that's probably not for our good. Behind all the shenanigans that we humans seem to do in this world to, to cause issues, behind the scenes is a spiritual world that uh, we cannot perceive with our senses. We can't smell it, taste it, see it, feel it. But it is real in spite of the fact that science has been unable to pierce that veil. Well, they think they might have it, the CERN super collider, if you follow any of that. But the science has not been able to Pierce the veil of the unseen world. It is only by our faith in God's word that we are actually able to perceive the existence of something that is beyond what we can see and what we can feel. This is a spirit world. And its existence was there. It has been since before the world was created. We know this because in the book of Job, Job is questioning God. He's saying, you know, why are you doing this? Why, why, are, why is this happening? And and God's big enough. He can handle the question. So he tells him, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding. See, (laughs) throughout Isaiah, we've been seeing where God wants to reason with the people. He wants to reason with us. He's not afraid of our questions. And here he is. He's telling Job, where were you when I founded the earth? Who determined this measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk and who laid its cornerstone? And this is the, this is the key where we know that there's something, there's an unseen world that was in existence before our world. Because it says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The spiritual world is the domain of the Almighty and His heavenly host. But along with them there are some fallen angels without a better term for it, it's fallen angels, or what are actually in Hebrew would be the fallen benai Elohim, which is sons of God. In simple terms, we think of them as angels and demons. But it is more complex than the simple terms that the church has used to explain them. And this is not a sermon that we're going to, I'm going to get into the details of it. You know how I feel about this, what I've studied. If you want to know about that, we can talk about it sometime. Just understand that there are forces both on our side and against us in the spiritual realm. 
In very simplistic terms, we have Yahweh on one side, and by the way, he's the one who's for us. And we have Hasatan on the other. The accuser. That's what Hasatan means, the accuser. Otherwise known as Lucifer, Beelzebub. And he goes by many names. He is called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians. He's called the ruler of the, of the power of the air in Ephesians. You, you look at the world today and you see what's going on. I, I, I can't help but look at the banking crisis and think, I know who's behind this. Because everything that's happening is leading up to, he's, I think he's trying to play his cards, trying to get God to play his cards. Because he, Satan wants that moment where he will be worshipped. He's longing for it. So he's, he's influencing people to do things that are going to lead us to a place where it's going to happen. But obviously, he's not the one in control. And God sits there and laughs. Lucifer and his minions, and I call them that, I think of the little yellow guys running around, they run this world. They do. They are the ones who are behind the world systems that we live under. It is theirs. When Lucifer attempted to, to, to actually tempt Jesus in the desert, what does he do? He offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. If Jesus would just bow down to him instead of to Yahweh. Now, it would not have been temptation if he did not have possession of those worlds. If he did not have possession of this world, he would not have been able to, to actually offer them to Jesus. So he has them. We see this in Luke 4, 6. It says, and he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. He's showing then Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And I think he showed him all the kingdoms from that point, maybe into the past and into the future. He says, I'll give you everything. He says, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. He is the one who is in control of this world. Now granted, understand, God is ultimately in control. And Satan is basically has got his run right now. He's got his ability to do what he wishes on this world within reason. He still has to go to God to ask about certain things. There's just, he can't do anything he wants. He can't, God is still sovereign. But understand, God is allowing him to have dominion in this world. Or else it wouldn't have been a temptation if he did not have control of it. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are strangers in this world. This is why the writer of Hebrews, when he's talking about the Old Testament saints, what does he say in Hebrews 11? He says, these all died, he's talking about the Old Testament saints, in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged, here it is, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I don't know about you, but man, I'm pretty comfortable with my life here. I like my life. Most of the time, except when I'm sick. Except when I have to pay my taxes. You know. For the most part, life is good on this earth for us. But this is not our world. This is not our this is, we are strangers. We are travelers in this world. We were not meant to be in this world. This is not what God intended. It's not what he wanted, but he allowed free will. And this is what we've got. In Scripture, this world system that Lucifer oversees, it has a, has a name. 
God, throughout Scripture, has given it a name. And the name he gives it is Babylon. <coughs> now, Babylon was a literal city. It was a beautiful city. It was had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had the hanging gardens. It was in the Fertile Crescent, the in-between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Yes, it is the place where the Tower of Babel was built, where one of the rebellions against God happened. He had told everybody, go, spread out, fill the world, subdue it. And what did they do? Oh, let's stay here, and we're going to build a tower here to God. We're going to, we're going to reach God. God won't come to us, but we're going to go to him. And that's when God confused the languages and created the different nations and created the languages. It has been Babylon, the city, was a source of much pagan religion, a lot of self-worship, a lot of pride, a lot of ambition, a desire to be like God was common. The amazing thing about it is throughout time, God will use Babylon. We see many of the same things of Babylon in our world today. The result of Babylon, not just the city, but the world power, the world environment. God's going to use Babylon to punish his people with exile. We know this, if you remember quite a few weeks back, we talked about Hezekiah. Hezekiah, Babylon um, emissaries come and he takes them. And in a foolish moment, he actually shows them all of the gold in the temple, all the weapons, all of the army he has. Babylon is now ready to come and conquer. But it won't happen in Hezekiah's day. But God's going to use Babylon to punish the Jewish people. And even after its destruction, which we'll see in our verses today, God's going to use it as a symbol of the world system that Lucifer has control over. But even that, one day, will utterly be destroyed. So let's talk about Babylon, the city, the fall of Babylon. Back in Isaiah 13, we saw it. We saw the prophecy of fall of Babylon. In verse 19 of chapter 13, it says, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor of pomp of the Chaldeans would be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. Where's Sodom and Gomorrah? Can we go visit those cities today? Where's Babylon? Can we go visit that city today? Actually, we can. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there, and their houses will be full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell, and their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers, and jackals in the pleasant places. Its time, to clo- its time is close at hand, and its days will not be prolonged. God promised that Babylon, the city, is going to be utterly destroyed. This is what gave Hezekiah hope. Not for himself, because he knew that he would die. He said, well, at least for my entire life, it'll be fine. You know, we we sometimes have that perspective. We're like, well, my life's fine. I don't care about what happens. No, everything we do matters. I, I, I do things thinking about my children, and hopefully my children's children. Maybe. God promised it would be destroyed. Now, Saddam Hussein of Iraq, he attempted to rebuild it. 
but it still remains abandoned today and nothing more than a tourist attraction. Nobody lives there. But the spirit of Babylon lives on today. We see it. Peter considered Rome the spirit of Babylon. In 1 Peter 5.13, he says, She who is at Babylon, he's talking about the church, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. He's talking about John Mark, who ends up writing the book of Mark, which is actually the, the, the gospel of Peter. He says, she is at Babylon, the church at Babylon, the church, but Babylon wasn't a city at that time. So what is he talking about? He's talking about Rome. So Peter's saying that Rome is the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon will go from Babylon to Persia, to Greece, to Rome, to the Huns, to the Vikings, to the Mongols, to the Turks, to the Spanish, to the French, to the British. And I am afraid it has now come to the United States. Has for quite a while. We are living in the spirit of Babylon. Don't think so? Have you watched TV recently? Have you watched YouTube? I can show you things that would make your skin crawl about what's going on in our society. I also say that we are living in the spirit under the spirit of Babylon because throughout Scripture the characteristics of Babylon have been um, have been political domination, economic domination. And military conquest. Well, what, what country has had probably the biggest political domination in the world? The United States. What about economic? We are the biggest economy. Well, believe me, while all the other economies are blowing up and th- falling apart, we could recover. I don't think we will. I think we are. As I told Mark this morning, I said, we have a tendency, I mean, humans have a tendency to take what God, beautiful things God created and make it terrible. Ruin it. Just like our first parents did. What about military? Obviously, we have the strongest military in the world. The only reason why we have the economy we have is because of our Navy, able to secure the seas. We are living in this under the spirit of Babylon. You make your own decision about the system we live under, but in, this, but in my spirit, in my idea, we're living there. That's what we are. We are living under the spirit of Babylon. So it shouldn't surprise me when Congress passes laws that hamper Christianity. In a few weeks, we're going to be in Sunday school class, we're going to watch a, a um, video about um, persecution that's happening in the world and in the United States and what we need to do about it. So we have to look at these verses with our eyes focused on history because it was an actual city, but we also have to look at it with our spiritual eyes, focused on the unseen realm, what's going on behind the scenes. And the future fall of this world system of the spirit of Babylon. Understanding that no matter what happens, no matter how it falls, God, Yahweh, is still sovereign. And he's allowing these things to happen. And in the end, his will will be done. That's what's so amazing about God. No matter what I do, no matter how stupid I things I do in my life, Ultimately, his will is going to win out. So while that's why it's so much better to actually follow his will now, because it's going to happen anyways. So let's go to this book in Isaiah, this chapter 47. And look at it first with our eyes open to the past, to the city, and then we'll also look at it from a spiritual future context. 
within them. He says in verse 1, Come, come down. Sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, a daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstone and grind flour, put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs. This would have been extremely scandalous. I know by today's standard that's nothing. But pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be soon. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name. He is the Holy One of Israel. What we see here, we see here is a picture of a pampered daughter who is the queen, who is now is a princess, but will also be the queen. It's going to, he's going to call her the queen. She did nothing to become that queen. She did nothing for her power. It was just given to her. The term virgin is used to refer to these, this delicateness, this preciousness of the nation. Sitting on top of the world that will lead with pride and ultimately to a fall that reveals the shameful nakedness. Now I want to tell you, I'll be honest with you, I am, I am as patriotic as the next person. I love our country. I think our country has done some amazing things. I think our country has been a gift from God to this world. But I also see, I also see the bad parts about our country. And I see the bad things that, are, that our country is doing in this world. And I think, again, we take something that is amazing, created by God, and we ruin it. Pride ultimately leads to the fall and shameful nakedness. The days of luxury, pampering, it's done. No more pampering. No more, you know, they're saying now that our economy, there's a good chance that our economy, we're gonna, our living standard is going to be 20% lower than it was in the last five years. That's dramatic for a country like ours that has so many resources and so much ability. Our days of luxury and of pampering are coming to an end. No longer called tender and delicate. There was one time when our country was looked up to. Our country is despised now. It is despised. And in these verses, the very people that the daughter of Babylon actually rules over are the very ones who despise her. Now, I want you to put on your spiritual eyes. And we're going to look at this a little differently. So we can see this happening, what's happening to our current world system. I want us to go to Revelation 17. And we see a reflection of what's happening back in Isaiah 47. It says, an angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So the nation, this new nation, this Babylon, is sitting upon all peoples, all nations, all. It's one government, one world religion. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast, and, and the beast will hate the, I mean, the ten, and the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast, so the ten horns were ten nations that rule. They will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being one in mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. 
And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. That city is Babylon. It's the world system. The Antichrist and the ten nations will at one time will bow to it, but now they hate it. They despise it. And that ultimately will be its downfall. The city that was once the jewel of the people, the nation, that world system that is has been, oh, it's just this wonderful. Isn't, isn't democracy great, by the way? We're not a democracy. We're a, we're a representative republic, and republics always fail. And republics are always corrupt. Always throughout history they've been corrupt. It isn't a great system, though. The world system was the pride of the nations. It's going to be brought low. It's going to be brought to the dust. So now, switch back to your physical eyes as we see what happened to the city of Babylon in verses 5 and 6. It says of Isaiah 747, it says, Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I was angry with my people. I, prof- I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hands. So here it is. God is saying, I am giving you the Jewish people to punish. He says, you showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You see, what Babylon's going to experience is not just some strange twist of fate. Because nothing occurs outside of God's purview. Nothing occurs that God doesn't see. And he's going to repay those who do evil. In Deuteronomy it says, Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Yes, God did give Israel to the Babylonians to punish Because they had turned away from him. He is disciplining them. But his discipline has limits. We do not over-discipline our children. If we do, we will discourage them. And if we do, we'll probably end up having a knock on our door sooner or later. But discipline is good when it's done correctly. But God's discipline has limits, and in the usual human fashion, Babylon took it way too far. The same can be said of our current world system. Our leaders believe that they can act and do whatever they want without recompense, without having to come to account for what they've done. Like I said, there are things that happen in this world that we don't see. This whole banking crisis, there's a lot of bad things that were done behind the scenes, evil things. There's a lot of Money and greed happening. In the halls of Congress, there are people who are bought off, who are, we no no longer have even a representative republic, by the way. Not unless you want to say they represent the donors and the big corporate elites. But they believe they can act to do what they want, whatever they desire, and they're never going to be called to the carpet for their actions. But see, it's Yahweh, it's God who will avenge and will judge. And believe me, his judgment is much worse than any congressional committee can put on them. The world system is failing. 
because it has to. There's an end to the security that we've had for years. As there was an end to the security for Babylon, they thought they had it. They had all the nations conquered. We are good. Verse 7 says, You said, I shall be mistress forever. Don't we think our country, our world system can last forever? Not as long as humans are in charge of it. It says, I shall be your mistress forever so that you do not lay these things to heart or remember their end. You've been warned. You're not listening. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in a day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. We know that this happened when Cyrus came in. Cyrus's army came into Babylon. He killed the king and conquered the city in a moment. They had no idea it was going to happen. You felt secure in your wickedness, don't we? You feel secure in your wickedness, he says. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Babylon was a place of sorcery. Our world is a place of sorcery. Believe me, it's happening. It's a very valid warning for us today. What we have, what we experience in our current world system, it's not going to last forever. It can't. Its days are numbered. And that number is not set by us, but it's set by God. But see, we, we have this propensity to forget. We have this ability to ignore things that we've been warned about. We have the ability to look just, we can't see past the end of our nose. And not see that God's going to avenge it. God is going to make things right. God sees everything. And everything's going to come under God's judgment. The good thing is God is a righteous judge. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Nothing we do goes unseen by God. We know he sees everything that happens. Proverbs 15.3 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And in Hebrews 4.13 it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And when we least expect it, judgment will come. Paul speaks of, tri- of the tribulation that is to come in 1 Thessalonians. He says, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. All the great things that our society does, all the technology that we have, all the things that we put our faith in that are not of God will be of no use at that time. 
Obviously, we're not, nobody's going around saying, hey, there's lots of peace today. So I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. But the very fact that we know that doesn't give me a good reason not to really examine my life and actually make sure that I'm on the path that I'm supposed to be on and that I'm doing God's will. None of the things in our lives are going to be able to save us short of our faith in Christ. The world system is failing. It's going to fail. Verse 12, he says, Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to be to succeed. He's being sarcastic there. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. These are the people who foretell, try to foretell the future. They're worthless. Let them save you. They can't. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. Think of a forest fire. And some of these big forests, what happens is the fire comes in and it wipes out everything on the ground, but you still see the trees standing. Many of the trees survive. But the plants down here on the bottom, they're like stubble. They burn up. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. This is not something that's going to be, hey, let's, like I had a fire in the fireplace yesterday. It was great. I loved it. It's not that kind of fire. This is a fire that consumes, a fire that purifies. You know, when you have gold and you want to purify gold, you heat it to such a high temperature, any metal. You have to heat it to such a high temperature so that the garbage that's in it, the impurities come to the top and you scoop them off. That's the kind of fire that's going to happen. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about, each in his own direction. There's no one to save you. We see this in Revelation, putting our spiritual eyes back on. We see this in Revelation that the merchants, the men on the ships, they look at Babylon that is burning, the world system that's dying, and they weep and they mourn because it is destroyed. No one will buy their products anymore. Which shows you where their heart is. Shows you who their God is. Their God is money. However mighty man thinks his schemes on me, how, how big, how awesome we think our scheming is. It's all going to fail. And boy, do we scheme. Whew. Some of the things that are going on in this world and some of the things, even with, uh, even with the, the, the banking crisis that's happened, these banks that have failed, and you look at some of the stuff we're trying to do to save them, and the scheming and the behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on, and the numbers, $60 billion, $120 billion. All these numbers don't mean anything anymore. Why should they when our interest rate payments are more than the federal debt was 10 years ago? We scheme. We try to figure, you know, we try to figure ways out of it. Instead, and what happens is the people who should be in jail don't end up in jail. But God will, God will take care of it. 
the secret in many dark things that uh, our society does in secret, they're going to be exposed for what they are. Futile and wicked in the eyes of Yahweh. See, the, the Babylonians were well known for their black arts. Very well known for their sorceries, their divinations, their predictions of the future, based upon the interpretations of dreams, based upon the interpretations of nature. But all that's going to be worthless. It's not going to do anything because it's false. Today we put our false confidence in schemes of man and in what is a religion of self that permeates our culture and our institutions today. Our world would do very well to remember Psalm 2, 4 through 6. It says, He who sits in heaven laughs. Imagine God sitting on his throne laughing at the schemes of man. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fear, saying, As for me, I have set my king in Zion, my holy hill. He says, I've put Jesus on the throne. He's the one. The king is Jesus. And he's going to come and he's going to reign with an iron scepter. So what does this mean for us today? Well, first of all, do not fear. We have a tendency as humans when we see things happening. We, we know Many of us who have been in the church long enough, we know what Revelation says with the tribulation that's going to come, the trouble that's going to happen in this world. And we get fearful and we get scared and we get afraid. And many pastors are, are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid we're going to say, oh, I don't want to scare people into heaven. I'm like, whoo, at least you're getting them some way. Don't fear. God is in control. God is still on his throne. Nothing happens outside of his purview. Nothing happens that he doesn't allow. It's all going to work out for his will. People sometimes ask me, they'll say, so what are you? Are you a pre-tribulationist or a post-tribulationist? I say, I'm a pan-tribulationist. It's all going to pan out in the end just the way God wants it to. So I'm going to be patient. I could see many ways that could happen. I'm going to wait and see what God does. In the meantime, I'm going to do everything I can to do his will. God has the ability and the right to both destroy and to save who he wills. He has the right. It's his. He created it. Fear him, yes, but also flee to him. We, we, we should be on our knees in prayer every day as the day draws closer. As we see the things in this world falling apart, we can sit and we can analyze them and we can talk about them, and I think we should, but we should immediately go to prayer. We should spend time praying to God, Lord, help me through this. Help me see this. Help me see what's happening. Protect us. And Lord, even if, you, even if we have to go through this, Lord, help us get through it. Because when we walk through the flame, we'll be purified. Now, Babylon itself was arrogant. They had a, a lifestyle of comfort and luxury. Look at us today. We are a society of comfort and luxury. And every generation wants more. It's, it's phenomenal when you look at it, you study it. The United States is no better than Babylon was. We are still the most powerful nation militarily and economically. We're not going to escape God's judgment. 
that's going to happen. So, what do we do? We pray for our leaders. We pray for our leaders to turn back to God. We pray for those who are, who are actually believers in God, who are in Congress and in our positions of authority. We pray for them to be stronger in the Lord. We pray for them to be bold in their faith. You could have, I want to be honest with you, there, you, could have, you could have two-thirds of the Congress that is completely evil, and that one-third will overpower them because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God is much greater than that two-thirds of people who are following the evil one. We need to be praying for those leaders who are righteous, who are godly. We need to pray for them to be bold. And we need to pray for those who aren't, that they would see the light and they would, God would speak to them. Now, I believe that some of them God's not going to. Because they're done. They've made their choice. But God can still save if he chooses. Pray for our leaders to turn back to Yahweh and humble themselves before an almighty God. And in that same way, you and I, we must repent of our prideful hearts and and we must humble ourselves. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And I love this. So at the proper time, he may exalt you. You see, we want to exalt ourselves, don't we? We exalt ourselves. I do it all the time. I think much more highly of myself than I should. But see, when we humble ourselves before God, it is he who lifts us up. He exalts us. The spirit of Babylon is still alive and well in this world, but we luckily we have the Holy Spirit who's also here with us. And while the world is following this spirit with all the occultic practices that are happening, we got to remain strong in the Lord and in his word. We have to desire that our heart are being tuned by the Holy Spirit and be aware of the schemes of the evil one to separate us from Yahweh. That has been my, my, my call from since beginning of 2020. Look at everything that's happening and watch how it's separating us. And then you know what its source is. I'm not talking about anything particular because I don't want to be taken off of YouTube. But I'll be honest with you. All of this has been the scheme of the evil one. And I'm not looking for ghosts behind every corner. I'm just telling you, he is the source of all lies. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And all I've seen in the last, in the last three years have been lies. All the way around. He is the source. He's what's been, hap- he's been causing this. He wants to separate us from each other and from Yahweh. But God's not going to delay forever. His wrath and his vengeance one day are going to happen to those who are attacking his beloved, who are attacking the church, attacking those who believe, and they will soon see his wrath. Now, I hope it's in my lifetime. I really do. But if it's not, it's not. It's okay. But until then, we must remain faithful in Christ. We must pray constantly for those who are being persecuted and for the strength to persevere in our own suffering. Believe me, this video we're going to watch, I'm going to watch with our, small, our Sunday school class in a few weeks. 
talks about all the persecution that's happening in the world and shows a map of where persecution happens, where it's illegal to have a Bible. It's amazing. But understand that it also happens here. Social media has just completely, if, you, if you're not careful, you will, be, you will be pounced upon if you say anything that's religious in certain social media places. We need to have the strength to persevere in our own suffering. When will this happen? I don't know. Who knows? Only one does, Yahweh. God's the only one who knows. Jesus himself said, nobody knows. Disciples wanted to know when it was going to happen. He says, nobody knows but the Father. Not the angels and not the Son. That's pretty amazing. Since Jesus is God, how is it possible that he does not know when he's going to come back? Now, I think he knows now. I do. I truly believe he knows now when it's going to happen. Now that he's in his glorified body and he's with the Father. But he doesn't know. He didn't know. We don't know. And the angels don't know when it's going to happen. But we know that Babylon will fall. Of that, we can be sure. So boldly share the gospel until Christ returns. And as John closed out his book of Revelation, he says, he who testifies to these things says, surely, and he says this is talking, this is Jesus who testifies to this. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.